Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Thanks, Brent. Good morning, North family. How are you? It's good to see you. Good to see all of you guests. We're glad that you guys are with us here this morning as well. You know, when I look back over my life, and I've been doing that this last week in a specific way, I look at the many times in my life, there's too many to count, where my words and my actions and my attitudes have been displeasing to God and hurtful to others. Uh, when that happens, I typically damage myself in some way. Um, and typically the moments that follow, uh, I feel uh, grieved, I feel guilty, I feel agitated, I feel heavy-hearted, I feel ashamed, and I feel stuck. Um, and I also feel far from God. I think back on those moments where just my words and actions and attitudes weren't pleasing to him. And something else happens. Sometimes I'll recognize, I feel like there's been a, a zapping of some spiritual potency and just the way I walk with the Lord, my prayer life, my, my thought life. I just feel like I've, I diminish some of the spiritual power that God has made available to me as a child of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, I'll start to have feelings of disqualification, and I'll feel like, man, I, I don't deserve the wife I have. I don't deserve the kids I have. I don't deserve the blessings I have. And I don't deserve the privilege to pastor. That's what happens when I think about the words and the actions and the attitudes uh, that I've participated with when I um, have failed God, when I've sinned. But without failure, when I choose in those moments to turn to God rather than from God, and wholeheartedly confess my sin and repent and turn away from those words and actions and feelings, it feels like a great weight gets lifted off of me. I feel a refreshed intimacy with the Lord. And I feel a renewed uh, power in my soul and spirit and a renewed sense of God's love and grace toward me. I feel lighter. I feel better when I confess and repent. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you felt <laughs> what I'm talking about right now? Well, even though our sins have ultimately been forgiven in Christ as followers of Christ, our sinful nature still flares up daily. And those sins disrupt our intimacy with God, whether we recognize it or not. Sometimes you just feel it like something's off but I can't put my finger on it. Sometimes what that off is, is just stacked up unconfessed sin that you haven't really cleared the air with the Lord with. And so what's the result of that? <laughs> what do we do with that? Well, what we need to do is have a healthy rhythm of confessing and repenting of our sin as we continue to mature in Christ, to daily surrender to Christ. And when we do that, and here's the, the focus thought I want for us today, when we confess sin, our relationship with God feels empowered and unhindered. Who doesn't want to feel empowered and unhindered in the relationship with God? Well, in order to get there, we really have to talk about what it looks like to on the regular confess and repent as we follow Christ. So as we continue today in our teaching series on prayer, our focus today is going to be on the importance of confessing sin. 
of repentance. And this is when some of you are like, man, if I would have known that was what today was about, I think I would have chosen a different Sunday, right? Well, let's pray and let's dive in. Father, we come to you as a holy God. Uh, you are our Father, Creator, Master, Lord, Savior. Uh, you hold all things in your hands. And just like we sang, you, you're so good to us. But Father, we're not always good back to you. Lord, every day uh, we fail you in our thought life, in our choices, our behaviors, our attitudes, what we choose to do or not to do, Father, every day. Thank you for your patience, Lord. <laughs> Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. We, we so need that. So God, as we look today again at this very potent, powerful model of prayer that Jesus gave us, we pray that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive what you have for us today in Jesus' name. Well said. Hey, uh, open up your Bibles, your Bible apps again to Matthew chapter 6. We are in this small portion of Scripture. We're repeating it on purpose for several weeks, but then we're highlighting or focusing on different elements of it each week. And so we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Some of you uh, are going to open your Bibles or Bible apps to that spot, but most of us have it memorized in one fashion or another. Uh, here's what we find when we get to Matthew 6, 9. Uh, Jesus says, you know, he's gathered by, you know, thousands on a mountainside, given this Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, pray then like this, okay? Our Father in heaven, hallowed, we talked about that last week, holy, right? Holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As mentioned before, this uh, particular passage is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, there's debate over whether or not that's really the best way to phrase it, because this is not a prayer that Jesus prayed. This is a prayer that Jesus said, you should pray. But he didn't say, pray these words. He was saying, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, pray like this. This is a model. This is an outline. It's not a script. It's not a mantra. He's trying to help us understand the way we can pray when we talk to the Lord. And so we look at this model of prayer, and we see four themes in this prayer, in those verses. And uh, together they can come together and make a, a helpful guide for us. And so we see uh, praise, repentance, asking, and yielding. And they, of course, makes up the acronym PRAY that some of you are familiar with. It's a good way to go, when I come to God, how do I do that? What does that look like? Well... Spend some time in praise, lifting up, you know, what you're thankful for and praise God for. Uh, repentance, which we're, we're going to talk about here. Uh, asking, we'll talk about that next week. And then yielding, maybe one of the hardest parts of our prayer life. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. So last week we focused on P for praise. Today we're focusing on the R for repentance. Let's concentrate on and unpack a little bit Matthew 6, 12. I mean, how much can you unpack one sentence, right? There's probably not much there, right? Matthew 6, 12 says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Three observations from this one little verse that I think we can uh, pay attention to when it comes to praying prayers of repentance. The first observation is this. There's a need. Like we've got a need. Forgive us our debts. Now, as nice as it would be for the Lord to just miraculously clear all our debts, can you imagine all of a sudden getting home and your mortgage is paid for, your college loans are paid for, you know, the car is paid for, the house is paid for. I mean, it'd be nice if all that was done, but that's not really uh, what 
God's getting at here. Uh, this word debts also is translated at times as transgressions or trespasses. It's a metaphor that Jesus is using for sin. That's what he means, right? And uh, the term debts might have been especially impactful for the man that God was using to write this. Because we're in the book of Matthew, and there's this man named Matthew who's also known as Levi that once was a tax collector for Rome. And this is the one that now through the power of the Holy Spirit and his inspiration are pinning these letters of Jesus that he heard, forgive us our debts. I wonder if that was a trigger word for him to go back to his old life of collecting debts from people from Rome. I bet when he heard that word, there was a lot more layer of depth, and then he started to think about the spiritual implications of our debt to God. See, uh, in the same way that people owe taxes and a debt to their, you know, state, country, you know, nation, we're indebted to God because we're accountable to God for our sin. Now, sin is an unpleasant uh, and avoided topic, but it's a necessary topic for us in humanity. When you unpack the word sin, it literally means to miss the mark. God is holy, God is perfect, and we are not. If we honestly were to buy into the false theology that somehow our position with God and our right standing with God and our forgiveness with God was based on our own works, remember that's that dangerous, flawed theology that's not biblical that says, hey, I'm just going to live my life, I'm going to do the best I can, I'll try to be a good person, and at the end of this life, God's going to take my good, my bad, put them on a scale, and hopefully my good outweighs my bad. That is not a biblical concept whatsoever. That, that, that came out of human tradition and, and human you know, thinking. And so um, the, the only way uh, that we're going to have to take care of our debts is to rely on God to take care of them for us. And so we miss the mark. We're not holy. We're not perfect, but God is. So if perfection was the bullseye on a dartboard, us trying to live a good life, like we're just hitting the outer rings the best. Most of us, we're off the board altogether. Or if you've ever thrown a dart and you hit it and it bounces off and hits the ground, like that's a picture of us trying to live a good life to please God for forgiveness and for right standing with God. We miss the mark. That's what sin means. And our sinfulness is evidenced in our actions, our attitudes, and our words, so our corrupted and unholy thought life, our distorted motives, our bad attitudes, our hurtful and immoral actions, and if that's not enough, when we refuse to do and act the good that we know we should, that too is a way that we sin. And so we execute sins of commission and sins of omission, right? Sins of commission is a willful disobedience. Like, if you're a parent with young kids, you know what that looks like. Like, don't touch that. And they just look at you. <laughs> touch it. And that, that's a picture of our sin life. Like, God says, don't do these things. And we're like, oh, yeah, watch me. <laughs> that's a sin of commission. We are committing a sin willfully, defiantly, knowingly. Sins of omission is when we know the good to do, but we omit it for our life. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, forgive others, have faith, do good to others, and we say, no, I'm not going to forgive, I'm not going to love, I'm not going to do good, I'm going to omit those from my life, now that's a sin of omission. And so the good news is we have all sorts of ways to sin. Isn't that great? We have the sin. And everyone 
sins. The only person that's ever walked this earth that was without sin was Jesus Christ because he was God in the flesh. Otherwise, there's been no non-sinner, right? Romans 3.23 says, for all. You can just put your name right in there, right? For Chad has sinned and fallen short, missed the mark of the glory of God. You can put your name there. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we have to make sure we wrap our minds around this need that we have sinned. And God is not going to grade on a curve. You're not going to find that in the Bible. God's not going to be like, okay, I tell you what, make, plead your case. And you're like, hey, look, I know I've got sin, but have you, talked to, have you looked at so-and-so's life? Like they've got a lot more than me. So I should be pretty good, right? You're going to grade on a curve? God's no, I am the curve. God is the mark. So we all fall short. This is the reality. And I think what happens is just to kind of go after that, let's just kind of, because I think even when that's taught sometimes from the Bible, some of us still have a withhold in our spirit to go, I don't know. Like you can be pretty good. So let me just use a couple examples to poke at that, all right? How many lies do you need to tell before you're a liar? One. How many times do you have to cheat before you're a cheater? One. How many times do you need to manipulate someone before you're a manipulator? <laughs> One. You know, how many times do you need to steal something before you're a thief? One. All right? All of us have done all of the above, correct? So guess what? We've got a room full of liars, thieves, manipulators, and, you know, like, that's us. We've already broke that holy law, if you will. But let's just say, let, let's roll with it. Let's just roll with it. Okay. You, you can actually work your way to heaven. You can work your way to forgiveness. Just be really good. Let's say you get it down to where you are so good. You are living so good. You only sin three times a day. That's it. That's like, that's three bad thoughts. If you're married or a parent, you're toast already, right? If you work with other people, you're long gone, right? So let's just say, though, three sins a day. Well, that's about a thousand, that's just about a thousand sins a year. It's over a thousand sins a year. Let's say you live your life to be 70, 80 years old. Well, that's at least 70 to 80,000 sins. But we know realistically the tally is more like hundreds of thousands, if not like a million. So I want you to think about that. Let's, let's say you show up to a court judge and you've got a thousand moving violations. And you stand before the judge and go, but I'm a good driver. They're going to throw you out. Your license is gone. Your car is gone. You're in trouble. Well, hey, I know, I know I've you know, had some infractions. My driving hasn't been great. But have you, have you seen what this other person drives like? Have you seen how many tickets they have? The judge isn't going to be like, oh, good point. Case dismissed. We're all accountable. And so even at you know, hundreds of thousands of sins, like we're not good people. We want God to grade on the curve, but that's not reality. So all that to say is we have to come to this understanding that our unholy lives create a debt that we owe our God and creator who's loving, but he's also holy and he's just. What kind of judge would throw out a case if someone came before him with thousands of infractions? We would say that's a bad judge. Well, God's not a bad judge. He's a just judge. And whether it's now or whether it's, you know, when he returns and, and humanity is accountable for all their sins, God is going to execute his justice. And so how do we expect a holy God to respond to our chronic 
disobedience and defiance in his life. And so we will never fully appreciate the power and the beauty and the depth of God's forgiveness until we recognize how corrupt and how pervasive and horrific our sin condition is. We have a need. We have sin. We have debt. And so we stand before God desperately needing a clearing of this debt. Forgive us our debts. So we're all sinned. We're all sinners. We all sin, and we have no human ability to clear our own debt. And because of God's love, and because of God's sovereignty, he provided a solution. And so the second observation is this. We see a provision. Forgive us our debts. Jesus is in the model prayer saying, approach God for forgiveness. Because forgiveness can only be granted by God. He has to provide the forgiveness. And so we see written here are the words that were spoken from the very lips of the only one who can actually provide forgiveness, Jesus Christ, God the Son, God in the flesh. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, referring to Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our what? Trespasses, our debts, Right? according to the riches of his grace. See, Jesus Christ came to the earth to pay the debt. It was his miraculous birth. It was his perfect life. He lived a life we could never live. Absolute perfection. And then it was he that allowed his creation to nail him to a cross. And what Jesus did on the cross was a final, full, Payment of sin. He didn't pay part of it. Hey, look, I'm going to pay 90% of your sin on the cross. You got to put in the other 10%. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay for 100%. And then they buried him. Jesus was dead. They buried him. But because he was also God, because of God's sovereign plan, he rose to life, came out of the grave, conquering death and sin. And now he extends this invitation for anyone who wants to be forgiven of their debt, come to me and ask, and I will apply my work on the cross to your sin debt. Which means when we don't come to Christ, when we don't believe in who Jesus is and what he did, we're still saying, I will try to work off my own debt and see how it goes. How wise is that, really? When Jesus truly paid it all, he was our sin substitute. His death was for the atonement, the redemption of our sin. Jesus paid it all. And when you and I come to Christ and go, look, I don't have all the answers to all my questions, but here's what I know. I'm a sinner and I need you. And my belief in your death on the cross and my belief in your resurrection from the grave is far better than me trying to just like dig myself out of my own hole. Or or uh, to subscribe to some theological belief that just feels good. Just makes sense. I like that one. It feels cozy. Careful. You only got one shot with your soul. God tells us, what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? You get one shot. 
There's no do-overs. You have to land with 100% confidence on whatever you're trusting in, whoever you're trusting in, to be made right with God. And so when we come to Christ, we receive complete and full forgiveness of past, present, and future sins. The follower of Christ has been forgiven of our past sins. We're actively being forgiven and covered by the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross for our current sinful state. And that blood has been applied to all the future sins. It's a glorious, um, gracious gift that God has given us. And that's called justification, forever secure as a forgiven child of God now and for eternity. But here's the problem. We still live in a fallen state. We still live sinful lives. Now, when you give your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit of the living God comes to live inside of you, we've talked about this before, you're not going to be sinless, but you will sin less. As a, as a believer in Christ, the things that you used to love, you start to hate. It might not be instant. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it takes time. As God matures you and grows you, and the big theological word sanctifies you, makes you more like Christ. As he's working that into our lives, we will sin less. Certain attitudes, actions, behaviors, words will be eradicated from our life, purged from our life, or extremely rare. That's the beauty of being made new in Christ. But we're not sinless, which means we still need to regularly repent and confess of our sin. 1 John 1.9, the Apostle John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. So he's saying, hey, my brothers and sisters of Christ, if we confess our sins, which means we still need to actively have a, a spirit of confession with our sinfulness, God's faithful, he's just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not a cleansing for salvation of our souls. This is a cleansing for intimacy with God, for fellowship with God, for connection with God. Your soul's not in jeopardy as a follower of Christ when we sin. Notice I didn't say if, when we sin. But our intimacy with God is in jeopardy because we want to hide. How foolish, man. We're like, we're going to do wrong or not do right and then try to hide from God. That's awesome. It's like trying to play hide and seek with a two-year-old, you know? Like he sees, he knows all. And so we confess to, to clear the air with God. I think the moment that we see with Jesus in the upper room with his disciples and this moment that he has with the apostle Peter is so helpful here. And so you don't have to turn there, but if you go to John 13, you'll see this moment where Jesus gathers his followers. And what he does is he, he gets down and he takes on the role of a slave, of the servant of the house, and he brings water and claws, and he starts to wash the feet of his disciples. Those nasty, dirty, sandaled feet, he's, he's washing those. This is God in the flesh, washing the feet of his creation. I mean, it's magnificent. And he comes to Peter, and we all love Peter, man. Like, like we, some of us look at Peter and go, I get that, bro. He's like me. He's super impulsive, like no filter, Right? So Jesus comes to him. This is what we see in John 13, verse 8 through 10. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Peter's like not having it. Uh-uh. 
You're my rabbi. You're my teacher. I've seen what you've done, the miracles. Like, you're not, you're not washing my dirty feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, bro, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have nothing to do with me. And there's Peter, well, hey, hit everything then, right? That's what he says. He says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And so basically what happens in that moment is Peter's like, you're not, you're not washing my feet. I know who you are. Jesus says, but if I don't, then it's like you have nothing to do with me. Then, then, then hit everything. You notice Jesus' response? Look, if you're taking a bath, you don't need to be washed again. You just need your feet clean. And so you go back to the times like in, in ancient homes around Galilee, around this area, it was very rare for people to have bathrooms in their house. It wasn't common like it is for us. So you had to go out to the bathhouse, down to the river, down the lake, down the stream somewhere to, to bathe. So you bathe, you wash, you're clean, but then you got to walk back to your house. And then you're walking around, so your feet get dirty as you're walking, but the rest of you are still clean. And, and Jesus is going, that's what it's like. Like, once you come to Christ for forgiveness, you're washed. But we still have to walk through life. And guess what happens when we walk through life? What happens? We get our feet dirty. We get our feet dirty. And this is what's so humorous and sad about our prayer life. Imagine this image, like most people, when they think about prayers, like, hey, Jesus, here's my wish list. I know I haven't talked to you in a while, and the last time I talked to you, I just told you what I was unhappy about, but hey, here's my wish list of what I want you to do. And it's like, you get this image, like imagine a child coming to you, like, hey, mom and dad, here's what I want from you. And their feet are just covered in mud. They're standing on your white carpet. You're like, uh, your feet are dirty. <laughs> and so we come to the Lord like, God, here's what I want you to do. And he's like, <clears throat> time out. You, your feet are caked and dirt from months and months and months of walking around with never having them cleaned. It's a little bit audacious of us, isn't it? To never, like, when's the last time you just confess before the Lord when you pray? Like, when you come to God in prayer, there's a healthy dose of confession and repentance in the mix. Or are we just the kids with the cake dirt on our feet coming to God with our wish list? Confession is important. That's why Jesus is including it here. Forgive us our debts, right? And so we see the need for God to forgive. And so our sins disrupt our intimacy with God. And so a healthy, regular rhythm of confession and repentance, basically saying, God, I know you know this already. I'm just agreeing with you that it's wrong. I'm acknowledging that you see it. I'm admitting it. You, you saw what I said. You saw what I did. You know my thoughts. You know my heart. You know my motives. And I confess that before you. Just cleanse the air. You know, maybe you're here today and you cannot sense God's presence in your life. Maybe you feel like you aren't hearing God's voice. Maybe you feel like the joy and the peace that are yours in Christ are not being experienced. Maybe you're feeling like you have zero spiritual power, like no ability to overcome sin, temptation, to, to not care about the persecuting thoughts and actions from others. You just feel void of spiritual power. 
Maybe you don't desire to read the Bible. Maybe you don't even want to pray. You just want to avoid church. You feel spiritually apathetic. You feel constantly agitated. Perhaps your feet are just very dirty today. And you just need to get with the one who made you and loved you and just clear the air. You're not going to surprise God, by the way. Father, as I come to you today, I want to confess a sin. He's not going to go, I did not know that. (laughs) Thanks for informing me of that. If you're a parent, grandparent, you've been here. Your kid does something wrong. They break something or they they make a poor choice. And you know it. Because you usually know more than the kids know that you know, right? We're always living in like, do I tell them that I know? Or do I kind of see what happens, right? What, how do you feel when your child comes to you and says, hey, mom, dad, I, I was goofing around, I broke the thing. Hey, mom, dad, this decision, this happened at school, I got a bad grade, and I'm, I was going to try to keep it from you, but I just, I just want you to know. How do you feel? What does it do to your relationship if you're in a healthy mindset? And so that's what happens when we come to the father to clear the air. He's like, I know. It's good for you to come to me so you can feel encouraged, intimate and close to me. And so confession of sin restores our day-to-day relationship and connection to God. And God gave us a provision of that through Christ. We get to come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And so forgive us our debts. But there's a third observation. Jesus connects an important thought to this forgiveness. And next, we see an expectation. God expects those who ask him for forgiveness to be actively forgiving others. And already some of you are going, oh, crud, here we go. Because this is what God does. He likes to put his finger on some tender places in our life. He doesn't want to drive it in and hurt us, but he wants us to feel this area. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is not a suggestion by God. This is an expectation. Forgiven people forgive people. How is it possible that we can come to an understanding of how gross our sin is, how we have seriously violated God's holiness, and we receive such this beautiful gift of forgiveness, and then all of a sudden someone else who's hurt us, we're unwilling to even consider forgiving. What kind of contradiction is that? What, what does God think when he sees us so willing to receive from him and you're so stingy in what we would be willing to give to others in the same way? And so God expects that his children who've sinned against him, who've received this extravagant and undeserved gift of forgiveness, out of their understanding of gratitude and gratitude of what they've received will apply that same gift to those who sinned against them. Now, some people try to incorrectly link here salvation to what Jesus is saying, that God will only forgive you of your sin in a salvation context if you forgive others. But we know that flies in the face against all other scriptures. What God has said about grace and not earning our salvation. Because here's the thing, if God is saying, I'm not gonna forgive you unless you do something, then guess who has to do something? You do. Now we're back to works again. Back to Jesus dying for 90%, but you got to do 10. That's not the case. 
And so this isn't about salvation. This is about fellowship. This is about uh, connection with God. But this is not a little subtle head nod by Jesus that forgiving others is a good idea if we feel like it and should consider it. There's weight behind what Jesus is saying here. This is an expectation. You cannot divorce the reality that people who truly understand their forgiveness in Christ would be willing and compelled to forgive others who have hurt them. And if we understand the entire context of this phrase, then we recognize that not forgiving others stunts our spiritual growth. It disrupts our intimacy with God. It limits our maturity in Christ. Well-known theologian Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology said this, if we have not forgiven others when we pray this prayer, then we are asking God not to restore a right relationship with us when we sin, just like we have refused to do with others. So God declares that he will distance himself from us until we forgive others. Maybe you're here today, you're crushing it in your Bible reading plan, you're in the Word every day, and you pray, man, you, you can pray. You can lead Bible studies. You're serving for hours and hours. Man, you're just, you're awesome, but something's off. Something's wrong. Something's heavy. Perhaps it's because you haven't forgiven that person. And God has distanced himself a little bit from you to feel that until you make it right in your heart. Our intentional act of forgiving others is a response to Christ forgiving us. Now, I bet some of you right now are going, but you don't understand. You don't understand what that person did. You don't understand what that person said. You don't understand the pain that I still carry because of this situation. And you're right, that pain is real. But here's the thing you need to understand. Jesus knows our, heart, our hurts and wounds. Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed, abandoned, overlooked, used, hated, mocked, lied about, verbally abused, physically beaten, humiliated, and to actually be killed. What was Jesus saying to the Father regarding the people that were actually in that time, in the moment, nailing his hands to a wooden beam. He said, Father, I'm sorry, what was it? Forgive them. That's hard. I don't want to forgive. But it's an expectation. And it would reveal how immature and shallow my understanding of how much I've been forgiven is if I'm not willing to forgive others. So Jesus sees your pain. He sees your hurt. He sees your wounds. He sees your anger, and he knows. And here's where you get lost. You think, but if I forgive them, they're off the hook. No, they're not off the hook. They're just off your hook. And now they're on God's hook. Who's more righteous? Who's more just? Jesus knows, like he's, he's saying to forgive others, not because it's necessarily good for the others, although it can be, it's good for you. Bitterness 
And unforgiveness, you guys have probably heard this, is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. It hurts yourself. It hurts your heart. So when Jesus says forgive, it's for the sake of your relationship with God. It's for the sake of your own well-being. And maybe it will be for the sake of the other person, but it's not about that. It's for your heart. It's for your life. Because we all know that if we're, if we're willing to unforgive others, it twists something up, and then we're hurting others in our lives because we have bitterness in ours. It's just this twisted journey we get on. And so he knows forgiveness is good for us. Now, with that, I just want to basically fracture some misunderstandings here really fast. First, forgiveness is not instant. Some wounds have been cut deeper than others. There are some things that we can forgive in the moment or within minutes or hours. Just, God, I I forgive him. (laughs) Help me walk on. But there's other wounds that cut very deep. And sometimes that forgiveness takes time but you have to be intentional and willing to move forward. And if you're not willing to forgive, one of your best prayers could be this, Lord, I'm not willing to forgive right now, but would you make me willing to be willing to forgive? Change my heart. And so some forgiveness is not instant. It might take time. Also, forgiving is not forgetting. In Scripture, it says God remembers our sins no more. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you remember their sins no more. In fact, that showcases just how powerful and supernatural forgiveness can be is that even though I remember what you did to me, I forgive you. Because that's not humanly possible. That's a supernatural work. That I'm not ever going to forget what was done. But I'm going to forgive even though I still remember. And you see God's power unleashed in that situation. And at that point, your heart is no longer going to be held hostage to bitterness and anger and pain. And also, forgiveness does not mean blind trust. There might be people you need to forgive, but that doesn't mean you trust them. You're toxic. You're, you're dangerous. And so, yeah, I forgive you, but that doesn't mean it's just back on like the way it was. There might need to be boundaries and changes. And so I just want to make sure that we don't have a misunderstanding when it comes to forgiveness. But we come back to this reality that forgiven people forgive people. We cannot be mentally, emotionally, spiritually honest with ourselves and say that we've received God's full and total forgiveness and then turn around and refuse to forgive others. At that point, we're walking in contradiction. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as we have also been forgiven in Christ. So when you put it all back together, Jesus said, pray this way, forgive our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And so we just need to remember when we pray, we don't want to neglect to confess sin and to come into a regular repentance before our great God. And when we do, when we confess sin, our relationship with God feels empowered and unhindered. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite the worship team to join me up here. And I want to create a little space for us right now. Um, I feel like having a message like this and then saying, like, hey, let's pray. All right, go have a great day. Just doesn't give us the opportunity to engage authentically in the moment. And so what I'd like you to do right now is I want to create some space to let you have the opportunity for real-time application. I'm going to give you a handful of minutes here just to 
get with God, humbly come before him with any needs that you have to confess and repent to him. We are coming in the spirit of a verse, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, where David, King David, first, uh, second king of Israel says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me away in understanding. There's times when our sin is right in front of us and we're like, I know I need to confess this. There's other times we, we're just distracted, we're not fully aware. And we need to come to God and go, search me. And would you point out anything that I've done, thought, a, a, a pattern in my life, a reflex in my life that's not pleasing to you? Would you point it out, Father, so I can surrender to that to you and confess that to you? Some of you don't need much time. King David said in Psalm 51.3, For I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you, if you have a Bible, a Bible app, um, for this time, turn in or turn on to Psalm 51. Just open it up right now, wherever you're at. If you don't know the background of Psalm 51, it's fascinating. Some of you know the story of David and Bathsheba. King David committed adultery with a married woman named Bathsheba. Uh, her husband was away fighting on the war front for, his, for him. And he sees her, he wants her, he takes her, he commits adultery, and then he has her husband killed. He thinks he gets away with it, but God sends in, because God sees everything, he sends in a prophet, Nathan. Nathan has some interactions with them and points out that David's sin is known. And David could have been like, well, but you don't understand the pressures of being king. Like, you know, just it's okay. No, he, he came in humility and repentance. And Psalm 51 is penned by King David under the influence of the Holy Spirit after he was confronted about his sin. And so I offer to you Psalm 51 to read through and pray through during this time to see if you can resonate with what's being written there. And as you read this passage and pray, um, I want to give you permission. Like, you can sit there. Some of you are going to feel the weight of what is going on. If you feel like you need to turn around and hit your knees and pray in that chair, go for it. I've seen people come up here and kneel and, you know, whatever. This room is at your disposal. You don't have to sit where you're at. You can move around a little bit. And also, we're going to have some prayer partners. There's a couple groupings of chairs over on the side. There are times when there are certain sins in our life that we carry and we're like, okay, I've confessed it to God. And, and God's going, yeah, but I, I think you need to feel a little more freedom. You need to speak it out loud in the presence of someone else. There's a passage in the book of James that says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great powers. It's working. So we have some brothers and sisters of Christ on the side. They're just available. That if you want to come up and go, hey, look, I just feel like I need to confess this before a brother or sister in Christ just for that extra step of freedom, would you pray for me? And they'd love to do that. No judgment. Just love, prayer, support, encouragement. And so right now, this is your time to just come before the Lord. You might say, Lord, I confess my attitude of, fill in the blank. You might say, Lord, I'm sorry for, I repent of, help me too. Whatever this moment looks like, it's literally between you and God right now. So, you don't have to bow your head, close your eyes. Let's start there just to kind of create some personal space. Would you just bow your head with me? Close your eyes. Father, we come to you right now. 
We have debt. We have sins. But you also provided a way out through Jesus. I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ right now that this becomes an intimate moment and space that they can be raw, real, humble before you and just confess and repent. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they feel a refreshed intimacy, renewal, empowering in their life because of it. Father, for any person here that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, may they process what they've heard. And Lord, if you're leading them to faith, may they step out of those chairs and come to me or these other prayer partners or the friend that brought them and say, how do I have this relationship with Jesus? Give them the courage to take that first step of saving faith. So Father, hear our prayers now. May they be pleasing to you and good for us. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.